The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome to our podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Chris and Uriah here, and this is our Motown Philly edition of our podcast. We have a very special guest, former Sixer Sense contributor and current Piston-powered site expert, Stuart London. Glad to have you back, Stuart. You, you've been doing big things with the Piston Power since last time you've been on here, site expert now. So welcome back, Stuart. It's good to be back, and I could actually get to talk about team with a winning record. So it's a little different for me. I've been the last couple of years. I mean, is it too different, though? Because back when you were covering the Sixers during the you know rebuild, if anybody's really qualified to cover the Pistons right now, it's you because, you know, you you were a fan during the process, so. Yes, I was there for all the Jakar Sampson and uh, stuff like that. And let's play Jaleel Okafor and uh, Joel Embiid and Nerlens Noel together stuff, so, and see how that works. So, yeah, I'm used to losing. It's a little different. They're not trying to do it too much on purpose, and they don't stack up like 50 second round draft picks so it's not quite the same well Stuart, i am envious in that yes the sixers have a better record and they were in the playoffs the past couple years but you cover a team and you write for a team that doesn't have half the drama that the sixers have had and you know that drama that i'm talking about yep i'm still follow the sixers i still go to like about two-thirds of their home games so um I know I've seen all the missed free throws and all the no taking three pointers and all the missed dunks that we will not mention his name does. You know, that's what I said about his name last time, too. And it's not that he didn't miss the dunks, it's that he didn't try to take it. But you make a good point. But Chris, go ahead and bring us in because we're going to talk a lot about Detroit and Philly this episode. Yeah, and, and just Stuart again, we're super excited to have you back on the pod. And let's start off with something that's been a bit of a hot topic lately. 
because of a recent documentary that was released on Netflix. We're going to talk about Malice at the Palace and try to kind of tie it to Philly in a certain way. But right off the bat, Stuart, what did you think of the series? What were your um, initial takeaways from the the episode about Malice at the Palace? Right. Well, the first thing I think everybody who is listening to this must realize is that the one of the executive producers was Jermaine O'Neal, who was an Indiana Pacer, interviewed one of the people who was one kind of throwing their fists around there. So not surprisingly, it was mostly based on the Pacers and, you know, poor them and, you know, oh, we could have won a championship that year and poor Reggie Miller, who I do feel bad for because he didn't get a chance because of what happened to those guys all getting suspended. And, and I was like, the, I think the only uh, piston person even interviewed was Ben Wallace, the center, who kind of got a hard foul against him and they started the whole ball rolling. And I thought the, you know, outside of that, the only, they kind of ignored Detroit. It was more about the Indiana people. They had a couple things, you know, how tough the Detroit Pistons fans are back then. If you remember, they'd won the NBA championship with the go-and-the-work team with Richard Hamilton, who's from Coatesville, and Rasheed Wallace, Simon Gratt, both local guys from around here. And they were defending titleists, and they were selling out. And, yeah, they yelled, but actually I thought they were sort of nice to the Pistons fan. They said the guy threw the cup was a jerk, and the guy who, like, decided to run up the runner test because maybe he could get, you know, when it was almost all over, maybe hoping he could get some, I don't know, maybe hit him and assume he'd make millions or something. We, I don't know. Outside of that, though, the, they weren't too, they weren't slammed too much. I mean, you saw them throw stuff at him, but I mean, the bottom line is no one got hurt, really. And Reggie Miller had some good comments, which kind of relate to what happens with Lake and B gets into his little, you know, to do's with players. And he said, look, it's all fake. We're all friends. We're all just kind of play acting. If it wasn't for, you know, Ron Art, some guy doesn't throw a cup of beer on Ron Artest while he's laying there and he goes off, they would have, you know, dissipated and we would have gone back and done our things and probably, you know, had a beer together after the game. You bring up some good facts. Um <clears throat> I don't agree with your whole entire take. Um, okay. I, 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 well, yeah, it wasn't really focused on the Pistons, but it was produced by Jermaine O'Neal, as you said. O'Neal was an up and coming superstar. And I remember watching a recent episode of All the Smoke, hosted by Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes, and O'Neal was on there. And uh, O'Neal said that after the incident at the All Star game, where he was an All Star, they didn't have one single poster of him up anywhere which was surprising. Well, yes, I do. I feel bad for Reggie. I definitely feel bad for Reggie Miller. Cause I think he could, they could have won a championship and the team wasn't exactly the same either. Cause they did add Steven Jackson that off season. And like you said, if, if it wasn't for a fan throwing a beer, then it probably wouldn't have been anything beyond Ron Artest, you know, laying on a table. table. Cause the fans were, you know, yeah, Ron Artest was wrong going into the stands. I'm not saying that he was right, but he was acting on instinct at that point because if somebody throws something at you, 
a it looked like a glass bottle. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, it's just a cup of beer. Was not okay, a, a cup of bottle. beer, but some, but some, you know, somebody throws something at you. Your instinct reaction is fight or flight. And Ron Artest, you know, loved the person. He and he even admitted that he was not in a good place mentally. So you're gonna, you know, egg, you know, try to egg on somebody who's not mentally stable at the time. That's the important thing there. I think you emphasize. Yes. He was not mentally stable and fans antagonize him. And honestly, I I feel bad because I feel media villainize these players, which the fans should be, if not more, held accountable in that regard. Because fans instigated any interaction with the fans. The players had no intention of engaging with the fans. That wasn't the point of that. Like you said, it was a scuffle between te- two teams. And the player, the team, the fans instigated it, and I believe the guy that threw the cup got like two criminal charges against him, and everybody else got simple like assault or battery. The guy that threw the chair at O'Neill was out of line too. Right. Um, and they and the and, try to confront on the court. Uh, yeah. Our our test, he got probation, but he was convicted of something, unless we're basically trying to incite a riot. Mm-hmm. Attention Sixers fans across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston. Do we have a grooming problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with a brand new lawnmower 4.0. Thanks to the Manscaped trimmer, your astronaut helmets will be nice and smooth, and they'll feel like they're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job. With the fourth generation trimmer that features a cutting edge ceramic blade, you'll reduce grooming accidents due to their advanced skin-safe technology. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Again, that's manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. And now, back to the podcast the arena director saying that they were going to ban him anyway before the game, mm-hmm. you know, after the game that that was going to be his last game and he was going to be banned. Um, but the po- prosecutor said it's sad because these guys were just defending themselves. There was like, legally they were in their rights to defend themselves. It was a witch hunt at that point. And it was, it, and I honestly, when, when I hear the terms thug being thrown around a lot, it was, it was very, it felt like it was a racial thing. Now I wasn't old enough to understand that. So maybe Uriah and Stuart, you guys can speak to this more. Cause I was like maybe 10 or 11. I didn't understand that stuff back then. I was still a kid. I was still a child as an adult looking back at it. When I hear media portraying people as thugs, it automatically makes me think of, Oh, you're using this as a negative racial connotation. Yeah. I, I think that there was some racial connotation there. And for all the good that David Stern did for the NBA, he definitely did not handle this situation, I think, in the best light. Of course, then again, it's all about money and revenue. And if you yeah. alienate the fans, you're going to lose that money. That was a mark against David Stern in that regard. I mean, to your point, Lucas, I agree that a lot of this basically falls on the fans who instigated it. I don't think it's a condemnation of Detroit as an entire fan base, which we'll get to here in a second. But I, I do think you have to treat players with more respect. And if you throw stuff at them, they are liable to get upset and to react. So I, I agree on that front. 
And let, let's talk about the fan bases at large, because obviously the Malice at the Palace earned Detroit fans a bit of a reputation um, as a group that might commit, you know, some pretty egregious, even violent acts. If we go to Philly, that's another fan base with a pretty big reputation for acting out, deserving or not deserving. Why do we think, Stuart, that Philly fans get that reputation? And do you think it's even fair to compare the two cities in that respect? Well, you can. I think you can compare the cities that are very much kind of the same fans that go where it's, they expect blue collar, even if you're white collar people with the prices you now get, they get charged now, that they expect, you know, hardworking, no, you know, they effort every time. Even the Pistons who went 20 and 52 last year, they always tried hard and, you know, they just lost a lot. And I think there's a lot of similarities between blue-collar towns, older cities, things like that. So I think there's a lot of similarities. But outside of the malice at the palace, there really hasn't been anything national press-wise. Now, of course, you could say I think a little bit is prejudice because most of the right media is based in New York. And they kind of like enjoy kind of saying, oh, look at those Philadelphians. What a bunch of, you know, losing boozer guys they are so and also honestly detroit sports is since 2000 uh and eight i'd say has really stunk so the lions are bad the tigers are bad the red wings recently have not been very good and the pistons have not won a playoff game in 13 years so it's hard to be a passionate fan base when you are constantly losing so I think everyone's, you know, the success of the Philadelphia also puts a little microscope on the fans. And, you know, I'm sure you've read it too. Oh, look, typical Philadelphia, though. You know, I've, other places have had, I think, a Dodgers game. Someone actually got killed a couple of years ago by some fans who were a Giants fan or something like that. I mean, but it doesn't seem to stick like it does in Philly. In regards to Philly fans, I'll say this. The incident with Westbrook certainly did not help. And I guess you always have a couple incidents. It's not any major incidents. It's just an instance every few years. I believe it was a Sixers fan that was giving Russell Westbrook the bird a few years back. Double and bird. Then, yeah, the double bird. And um, and then obviously this past postseason as well with Westbrook. Apparently Philly just does not like Westbrook. Um, but – Overall, I mean, it just—it's not any one like outrageous thing. It's just small things here and there that seem to perpetuate the stereotype and not let it die down. Which I think, you know, Stewart brought up a good point. The Pistons haven't been good, so nobody cares about what their fan base is like because their fan base hasn't been able to get that hype about their team since two thousand and. What was it? When was the last time John C. Billups played? 2007? 2006? Like, it's, it's been a minute. It's been a it's been minute. A while. Yeah. Now yeah. that could all change in the next yeah. couple of years with Cade Cunningham, Killian Hayes, Jeremy Grant. I, I will say this also. I think a, team, a fan base embodies their star player or players. And for the Sixers, that's Joel Embiid, and he's the ultimate trash talker yeah. um, in the NBA, one of the best trash talkers in the NBA. And, um, you know, you know, you don't really hear about, like, for example, Golden State Warrior fans. You don't hear about them being ruckus because 
that's not Steph and Clay Thompson. Now you could say Draymond Green, but he's the third star there. You know what I mean? Like, I think a fan base can definitely embody their uh, star players' personality to an extent too, and that's where I think Detroit kind of gets that vibe from because you had the bad boy pink Pistons and then yes. you had the early 2000 Pistons, you know, mean guys. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just yeah. mean they're they mean were rough, guys. tough, physical guys. You're right. <clears throat> They were not finesse players. No. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and shift gears, and we're going to talk about the current comparisons between the Sixers and Pistons today. So let me start with you, Stuart. How different are the paths for the Sixers and the Pistons right now? Uh, Very different. About as different as you can get. The Sixers are obviously want to win a championship right now. This season, or last season, and the Pistons are looking for that great 2026, still going to just kill everybody and stuff. Uh, They're very young. I'm talking like very, very young. I think it's uh, 11 out of their 15 players are 25 or or, uh, younger. Uh, They're probably going to start, I'm going to guess, Sadiq Bay, who's in his second year, Killian Hayes, who's in his second year, a real rookie, missed most of his first year with uh, injury. Kate Cunningham's going to be a rookie. And you got a good old Jeremy Grant. And the center's looking like Isaiah Stewart, who, uh, again, will be in his second year. So this is a really young team. They've got some upside. But uh, I don't think the Sixers ever had – like basically a starting five of young up-and-coming players. They had the superstar. They have the Embiid, or they have the guy they think is going to be the star, like the Okafors and Michael Carter-Williams. But two big things different between Sam Hinkie and Troy Weaver, the Pistons' current general manager. Uh, Weaver said many times, I want to be competitive. They were not competitive. I'm out of here. So he is claiming at least to try to win. If you watch the Pistons games, which if you miss them, that's okay. Uh, they do try to win. They just don't because they're too young and not enough talent as of now. Where the Sixers, of course, wanted to lose. And the other thing, he doesn't stockpile draft picks like Kinky does. I will say that. The Pistons don't really have a lot of draft capital. So they do have about $30 million in cap space next year to do what they like. But it, it's not it's not quite the same thing. Like this year, the at least the fans, I think Kate Cunningham's even quoted, they'd like to make the play-in tournament. Never heard Sam Hinkie saying, "Boy, I hope we can be tenth out of fifteen teams in the Eastern Conference." He was trying to go for worst record. And they also don't have the superstar yet. They don't have the Embiid. They don't have the the Ben Simmons. They had Tobias Harris actually. He was a Piston, and they traded him for Blake Griffin, which. That didn't work out too well, did it? No. So, uh, so there are major differences. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a pretty thorough <laughs> evaluation of the situation. Um, like Detroit, let, like let's compare it to a roller coaster. Detroit is just starting to go up the hill. They got Caden Cunningham. They're on the rise, but they're they're a long way from the top. Philly is pretty much at their peak. You know, they trade for Lillard, though, but. Philly's trying to win now, and, and sooner than later, they're going to start going in the wrong direction. 
if they haven't already. So there is some pressure to win right now. Obviously, Detroit is pretty much aiming like four or five years out at this point. Um, I will say, like, Cade Cunningham, I think he's just as legit as any draft pick the Sixers ever got during the process. Mm-hmm. Like, Cade's, Cade's going to be a really good NBA player. I, he probably will be that superstar <clears throat> at some point, maybe even in the near future. But, yeah, like, like they're just on two very different timelines. Now, go 10 years in the future, they might align again and both be rebuilding or both be contending. But as, as of right now, they're just in different places as a franchise. Yeah, you guys make some really good points. I do agree with Chris that I think Cade can be a cornerstone of a franchise. I don't love his lack of burst, but everything else is there, and I like it there. Um, I think Killian Hayes, I think, Chris, you still had him as, as a top three prospect from that draft. I think you had him, what, third on second or third on your board? I had um, him number two at the time. I, okay. I wouldn't put him there now. But I still think he has potential. I think last year was kind of a bad year, you know, injuries and then just trying to figure out the NBA game. He's good defensively, great playmaker. I think he can be a great playmaker. It's the shot. We got to see what happens with the shot. But everything else is there for Killian Hayes. And then, you know, Isaiah Stewart. And we'll talk more about these guys in a second. I'm not going to get too much into them right now. But um, I think, yeah, you guys surmise. I think Chris used a great example. Um Sixers are at the peak of their world coaster, and it's just the ride's just starting for the Pistons. So we'll see what yeah. happens. But it, the Pistons do have an exciting future if they can build around this team correctly. So I just want to point out one last thing. It, it was a very weird uh, season for the Pistons in terms of wins and losses. As I think I wrote an article for Piston Power saying, how come Detroit only beats good teams? They went 20 and 52, the second worst record in the NBA. Yet they beat the Sixers, they beat the Suns, they beat the Lakers, uh, they beat the Celtics twice. I think they beat the Jazz, I'm not sure. But it was weird, like, other 20 wins, I think 12 or 13 of them were against teams that made, like, their conference semifinals. If you remember last year, Sixers came to Detroit for two games. The first game, Embiid beats them by scores like 32 points, and they barely win by three. The Sixers. Then the next game, Embiid sits, and the Pistons just run them off the court, and it won by like eighteen, like one of those games that was over halftime. The next time they played, I went to was at you know at near like the second and the last game of the regular season, and Detroit was playing all its rookies, and they lost badly, and no one cared. Detroit's like, yay, we can got a better. Well, chance. hold up, hold up, Stewart. I cared because Tyrese Maxey balled out in that game. Yes, he did. That's it. I cared. He, I cared. Uh, he was ripping up on <laughs> Killian Hayes, Chris's number two guy. Yep. Wow. It was a good. Uh, it was a good. No- <laughs> I think Paul Reed did well in that game as well. So that was a good little note for the playoff future. Hey, uh, Doc, uh, look at me. Oh uh, gosh, gotta- you should not have said Paul Reed. <laughs> you should not have said Paul Reed. I'm saving it for later. I bet you are. All right. Well, I think later is now, Chris. So let me ask you, Stuart, this, and then you can rebuttal. <laughs> Who has the better core of young players of sophomores and uh, rookies, Philly or Detroit, Stuart? I will say Detroit, if only because of Cade Cunningham. And he's just going to be better than anybody the Sixers have who's young. I'm a big fan of Tyrese Maxey. Love Tyrese. Love B-Ball Paul. He's a steal at number 58. If anyone wants to go back into their 
Sixer Sense archive. You can see an article I wrote like a week after he was drafted saying, why is Paul Reed at 58th? Was, is there something I can't tell? He's a really good player, it looks to me. Uh, I love Isaiah Joe. I think uh, Jane Springer is going to be a player. I think I, if let's check my Twitter account, I said if any of those four guys have been in the game in the fourth quarter in game seven against Atlanta, we win that. If, if they were there instead of Ben Simmons, because they would have, you know. Wow, that's bold. That's <laughs> true. They would have made a shot. <laughs> they would have tried. They would have made free throws. So. Oh, gosh. This uh, I said for just one of those, if you put Maxi Reed or Joe, uh, and I haven't even put Rajon Tucker at the time. If you put them instead of Simmons in for the fourth quarter of game seven against the Hawks, do the Sixers win? If you had a player who at least would try a shot, who was pretty good at shooting, maybe. Well, I wouldn't have put Tucker in that category. Well, not Tucker. Yeah. I'll say Joe Max Reed. <laughs> yeah, he kind of guys. He's gone now, anyhow, because he couldn't. Yep. Shoot, but yeah, and, uh, I would. But he could dunk. He he was a dunk, he was a dunker though. It was fun. Hey, to watch he would have dunked that shot. That's for sure. Yeah, that 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 is fair. That is fair. Yeah, yeah, I I I agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, Kate Cunningham and Sadiq Bay are pretty clearly the top two of the group i would say um, uh-huh. detroit has three of the top four depending maybe the top three depending on how you view killian hayes in relation to tavis maxi um and then even like isaiah stewart most people would probably take him over isaiah joe and paul reed at this point um would you chris yeah it's tough for me um but <laughs> it, it's a conversation like detroit detroit hit on pretty much all three picks last year yes, to certain yeah. degrees. Uh, we can argue about hitting on Killian Hayes at seven. I certainly thought so at the time, but I guess he has to prove it first. But, you know, the Pistons have a very good young core. They're they're hitting in the right direction. Philly's young core, as you said, Stewart, is made much more to complement Philadelphia's stars as opposed to be stars themselves. Now, could Maxi get to a point as some, you know, in the future where he's averaging 20 a night? Sure, I think that's in the cards for him. But Cade Cunningham's going to be a top 15, 20 player at his peak if everything pans out. I think that's a pretty achievable goal for him. And Sadiq Bey is already one of the best wing shooters on the planet, pretty much. And he's a pretty good defender, too. So there's a lot to like with those guys. And I I think the answer is pretty clearly Detroit. Right, And also, let's not not forget former Sixer Brian Colangelo, genius trading away guy jeremy grant who was on the olympic team won a gold medal he's only 25 years old i think he's not that he's been seems like he's been around forever but he's he's, he's also a young guy mm-hmm. yeah i think he's only in his yeah or mid to uh yeah. late 20s um but no um you you kind of jumped ahead with the jeremy grant comment right. um but let me before before we go to Jeremy Grant, because we're definitely going to talk about Jeremy Grant here in a minute, um, I will say this. Um, I think the Pistons have two potential all-stars in both Cade Cunningham and Sadiq Bey. I think Bey could be one of those, you know, I, I, I could see him ending up possibly being like a Chris a Middleton type player. I mean, he's already... As almost as good a defender as Middleton, and 
you know, the three-point shot is already there. He just needs to develop more of a well-rounded offensive game. But I could see that definitely being in the cards for him. Um, and then Cunningham, of course, dynamic playmaker with size. Everybody loves that. So, yeah, he has all-star potential. But with the Sixers, I yeah, Chris touched on it. I do think Maxi has the potential to be an all-star. And I think he could be a 22-per-game point scorer at some point in his career, depending on how the roster's made up or where he's playing at. Um, I think he could have made the all-rookie team first team if he had a, if he was on a team that allowed him to play big exactly. minutes. If he was on oh, Detroit, he would have probably made it too. Yeah. That, 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 I think that's a fair thing to say at this point. Um, but let's go ahead. And uh, I, I will say this. I like Isaiah Stewart. He's a strong guy. He's strong. And, I mean, the only guy that really bullied him this season that I saw was Dwight Howard. And, but Dwight's, like, literally one of the strongest guys in the NBA. So that's not really fair on Stewart. But he, he's going to be a good player. Um, and don't forget, they still have a, a former third overall pick on the roster, too, guys. You know, Jaleel Okafor is not, not super old. <laughs> oh my God. I, I wouldn't be counting too much on Jaleel Okafor uh, having a long couple of weeks. With Look, John's John going to do great in Europe, but <laughs> we're done with him. I, 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 I see him more of as a China guy than a Europe guy, to be honest. China likes the, the big old-fashioned post guys. I mean, we'll see what happens. They don't have Mason Plumlee this year. They have Kelly Olynyk, and Olynyk can't play center at certain matchups, so there could be a spot for Okafor to get more minutes on a regular basis next year. We'll see what happens. They're like one of four teams who will have like decent cap space to go after free agents or whatever next year. Is there even a strong class next year, though? No. I don't think so. No. They can trade for Ben Simmons next year, I guess. So I'm not an observer. I would not put Ben Simmons on that team. <laughs> I would not. That's just me personally. But let's talk. But let's let's talk about other. Um, let's talk about some former Pistons and current Pistons at the power forward position. You brought up Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant was first a Sixer. Now he's a Piston. Tobias Harris was on the Pistons for a few years, as you alluded to. He was traded for Blake Griffin, where he went to Clippers, and then of course the Clippers traded him to the Sixers. So. At this point, if for your respective teams, so Chris, you you would answer for the Sixers' perspective, and then I guess for uh, Stuart, you would ask answer for the Pistons' perspective. Who would you rather have at power forward, to Grant, Jeremy Grant, or Tobias Harris? Hmm. I, my first thought is Jeremy Grant's a heck of a lot cheaper. He is only making twenty million a year, which sounds like a lot, but Tobias Harris gets paid more than Embiid or Simmons. He's like thirty-four, I think, million. So he's a lot more expensive. Defensively, Grant is better. Harris is certainly a you know, better offensive player a little bit, although Grant averaged 22.5 points a game last year. So, I mean, in terms of value, I'd say Jeremy Grant, and we also have to throw in the fact that when – you know, they had an opening for the U.S. Olympic team. Apparently, Damian Lillard and Kevin Durant went to Greg Popovich and said, get Jeremy Grant. They did not say, go bring in Tobias Harris for whatever that's worth. Ooh, shots fired. Chris, rebuttal. Oh, God. Look, y'all, I don't want to do it, but I've been thinking about this for a few hours before the podcast, really. And, like, the more I think about Tobias the more 
I don't know, the less excited I am about him as like a player. Um, like he's clearly very good. He's he's certainly a winning player who can contribute at a championship level. I don't want to like drag him through the mud or anything, but like you said, Stuart Grant is a much more impactful and versatile defender. Grant probably shouldn't be the number one option on an offense, no. but he was last season and he averaged 22 a game with pretty remarkable efficiency. Like he, he did it at a pretty high level um, right. in his first season doing it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think Grant's the better player. I don't know if he's the better fit quote unquote in Philly no. with Joel and Ben, but you know, Ben's probably not going to stick around much longer. Grant, hits a fair amount of threes. It's not like he's a non-shooter. And he can do a lot of the same things Tobias does offensively, maybe not at the same level, but he can get downhill and finish at the rim. Tobias isn't a guy who you should be going to for a bunch of ISO possessions. Neither is Grant. Like They both should occupy a pretty similar role on offense. And Grant's just a much better defender. So, And he's $15 million a year cheaper, as you said. So... I, I kind of think it's Jeremy Grant. Um, that might get some negative comments in the Philly area, but I think it's Jeremy Grant. Now you, I, I see. Before the podcast, I was going to say Tobias Harris because just the way that he can play without the ball. But I mean, Grant proved that he could do that with Jokic too. Granted, on a much lesser, you know, volume than what he's doing with Detroit. I don't know. That's a tough one for me. I was going to say to Harris, but now you guys are making me double, you know, Look, think about you this. the athletic, Seth Curry is better than Tobias Harris. So it just depends on who you're asking. For some people, well, good thing we don't have Derek Bogner on right now. And we have Stewart on. <laughs> well, I also thought I'm pretty high on Tobias Harris. I just think it, in terms of salary and he's – Grant's obviously a better defensive player. The reason he got his big contract from Detroit was when Denver played the Lakers in the Eastern, in the sorry, the Western Conference Finals. He bugged the hell out of Le, of LeBron and and even Anthony Davis, and everyone's like, "Wow, he's a really great defensive player." And Detroit said, "Come here, we'll pay you this twenty million a year," which was everyone thought they were crazy for at the time. He was vastly overpaid for a guy who couldn't was not a big scorer, and then they found out, hey, if get him away from you know Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and give him a chance to shoot, he's actually not that bad. Not that they I guess, I guess, I guess my question is, would Grant still be uh, you know scoring near this much if if he was with Joel, or would he look more like he did when he was with Jokic? I don't know the answer to that. I, I want to say that he looked more like Jokic. And if yeah. that's the case, then I would say I'd, I'd rather have – I mean, based on how the Sixers are currently constructed, then you would rather have Harris at that point. Well, I'll, I'll say it this way. The Sixers are actively trying to get rid of Ben. So yeah. in that situation, I think Grant's defense would be pretty helpful. Well, yeah, I mean, if you, do, if you don't have Ben on the team, then, yeah, you want to have Grant. But, yeah, he's not the but, same – kind of defender but he's a very good defender who's six nine mm-hmm. and can move his feet on the perimeter and b even if he's not scoring as much as tobias he's probably doing it with comparable efficiency maybe not the same like tobias is an extremely efficient scorer but i mean yeah he was almost 50 40 90 so grant is up there too and if you lower his volume he's gonna stay up there and again like the defense is just so much better tobias has improved on that end 
he's not a great defender. Like, like Grant is a borderline like great defender. I mean, that's just that's half the game. Um, so, I mean, I will say this: if you have Grant, then you have already solved your backup center position as well. That is true. The uh, yeah. Wayne Casey, yes. the coach, has already already mentioned. Although everybody who's in my mentions and piston powered, for some reason, say it's my fault. And how do I bring it up? He's already said Jeremy Grant might be playing some small ball five. He did that, and he did that with the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's not your yeah. fault. He did that yes. with the Thunder. It was weird. He brought up a press conference after the season, and I said, "Hey, Jeremy Grant might be a small ball." center and everybody yelled at me like that's a stupid idea and i'm like i didn't bring it up the coach did but uh grant can play he can defend he can defend two through five yeah he can't defend point guards but he can defend every other position i i will put it like this yeah a a lot of tobias's playoff struggles have been because the Sixers have asked too much of them because the roster building has been pretty poor yeah that's not all on him but i will say tobias is best served as the third or fourth guy on the team. He shouldn't be your number two scorer, frankly. He, he shouldn't be your second mm-hmm. best player in but the fourth can, quarter can, of game but, seven. But should, can Grant be that guy? I Would don't know. Would he be the third or fourth best player on a champ? Would he be a better third or fourth best player? I think I think that's ooh, possible. Ooh. I don't yeah, think okay. should be the number two guy. Like yeah. Tobias might be the better one or two guy on a bad team, but as for what roles they should be playing on a championship. Well, you, you want your third or fourth best player to be a two-way player. Then, yeah, it's great. Yeah, then, then it's Grant. Okay. That, when you put the question like that, then, okay, I'll, I'll say Grant. I'll say Grant. But if we're looking at how the Sixers are currently constructed, you might, uh, you know, with Ben Simmons on the roster, I, I might lean more towards Harris. But let's get hit this last point before we move on. So – Interesting fact, guys, is you know in 2016 when the Sixers traded Jeremy Grant to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Irsan Ilyasova in a first-round pick, that first-round pick was used for Tyrese Maxey. Are the Sixers better off with Maxey, or should they have kept Grant? Well, that's an interesting uh, question. Of course, that's the Mike Muscala number one draft pick we got yeah uh, important context that pick was yeah, also traded wasn't to Orlando and then right. traded back in the Marco yeah yeah so it changed hands a couple times of course right so if we didn't have that pick we'd also have Markel Fultz <laughs> what that's worth uh let's not get into what's up that's Mr. worth right now yeah I I'm doing a point guard right I'm doing a point guard rankings right now and Markel is in the bottom five uh, Jalen, uh, how's uh, how's Jalen Suggs doing? Oh, he's gonna be he's gonna be in my shooting guard rankings. That's the, um, I I just saw this is nothing to do with what we're discussing, but I just saw on, on NBA uh, radio I saw an interview with the Orlando Magic uh, general manager. He says, "Oh, Marco loves a challenge." I'm like, "Oh, I'm like, well, he wouldn't you just start the two together?" Yeah, that's gonna, what I would do. They can't I've, shoot. Jalen can't. I think shoot. it's I think Jalen can shoot. I think it's Cole Anthony pressure as much as anything else. What Cole Anthony's going to start? No, he did terrible. No, but like oh. long term, who who do you want, Markell or Cole Anthony? Yeah, I mean, it depends on if Markell comes back. You know, I don't know. It a lot just of depends. Would say Cole, and they also have RJ Hampton, so they just have a lot of guards. And Markell yeah, they... is coming yeah. off an ACL tear. Yeah, I mean, right now I have him projected as their starter. Who knows? We'll see. Um, we'll see. But you know, just, well, you have to remember how they got the pick. And also remember, Mike Muscala in the bubble doesn't make a three-pointer. We don't have the pick in their last game. 
to win the game for Oklahoma City. Then it's, you know, we have two second rounders and who knows what that means. They're probably playing in China, the people we draft or France second division or something like that. But would I rather have Tyrese Maxey than Jeremy Grant? Uh, I would have to say yes. I mean, Jeremy Grant, I mean, you you could, uh, this is a guy who got a gold medal. I know he was a bench warmer, but still, he's a great defensive player. He's proven it in the playoffs. I mean, I remember it was so much fun last year. Uh, the Pistons would play the Lakers, and as soon as Jeremy Grant went to guard LeBron, he'd immediately wait for Anthony Davis to come over and get him picked off because he, didn't, he wanted no part of trying to score on Jeremy Grant after what happened the year before. I mean, you could put you put Grant on Kevin Herter. You can put Grant on, like I said, defensive plug-and-play, and he can score a little bit. And I mean, if you if you have Jeremy Grant instead of Tyrese Maxey on the team this past year, you might have won the championship. Now, you know, three years from now, when, you know, that might be a different story. I don't have much more to add to it. Obviously, Grant's better now. Maxey, if you're in a rebuilding situation, you might say Tyrese. So it really just depends on where the team is at. But, you know, trading Grant for Ersan probably wasn't the best move of the Colangelo era. That probably wasn't his greatest accomplishment. Actually, it was. I think I ranked him for a Sixer Cent story, and everything was actually worse. Uh-oh. That's how bad he was. Well, there you go. Yeah, I was going to say, there aren't too many, like, crowning achievements from that period of time, but... Like Maxi's super cool. The Sixers went in a different direction and had you know paid Tobias a gazillion dollars, and that's what they're stuck with now. But it, it's a cool hypothetical. I, I think Sixer fans are happy with Maxi, mm-hmm. um, but Grant is very clearly like the better player right now by a significant margin. I'm gonna say I I think they would rather have Grant because you brought up Tobias Harris. If they don't trade Grant, then they don't need Harris. Imagine a defensive core of that that 2018-19 season, a starting five of Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, Jimmy Butler, Jeremy Grant, and Joel Embiid. Grant was already a solid yeah. three-point shooter at that point, so the spacing wasn't an issue. I just – you don't have to pay Grant nearly as much, obviously. And then, you know, you could keep Jimmy Butler without, you know, having the – and J.J. Redick. I, I I think you'd rather keep Grant. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love to you know Tyrese Maxey, but if you're looking at like the butterfly effect of this, which I, that's the perspective I'm taking of this, Grant stops the Sixers from making a lot of bad decisions, like trading for Tobias Harris. They don't make that trade now. They keep no, they, Grant. Right. If you keep, and, uh, if you don't make the device, well, you have Landry, they have Landry Shamit. Yeah. Exactly. Or, you have him too. Oh, I, I think the counter there is like, is Grant good enough at that point for them not to make the Tobias trade? Well, let's see. 2017-18 season. Let's, I still think they would trade for Tobias. He, like, let's I, I look. think that's off the table. I mean, it's, I, I. Grant mm. was a bench player at that point in Denver, and he would be in Philly too, probably. Yeah, but let's also how bad the bench was in that year for the Sixers. The first two guys off the bench were Mike Scott and James Ennis. Now you're talking Jeremy Grant instead. Does that make it? 2000, uh, Chris, that was his first full season starting 1819, and he's averaging 13 points on 39% shooting from the three point line for the Thunder. Just well, Tobias was averaging like 20 on. 50 40 in LA. I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, the, I don't. 
they clearly had a very high opinion of Tobias when they both traded for him and when they signed him to that contract. So they were clearly fans. Okay, I don't know I, Grant would have pushed them off that. I well, we don't know. That's that's the fun thing about the hypothetical. But <laughs> I, I'm going off my instinct that they probably wouldn't have made the trade. But who who knows? Who knows? I could be wrong. Um, but that's I, I I think I would rather have Jeremy Grant just because I think it would stop the Sixers from making some colossal mistakes like you know letting Jimmy Butler go, you know mm. stuff like that. Um, let's talk a little bit about some um, Sixers housekeeping. Uh, somewhat literally, they released it was reported by Keith Pompey, seventeen employees, which included about half the scouting department as well as the Senior Director of Equipment Operations, Scott Rico, who has been with the team for 34 years. It also included Matt Lilly, who was the G, the, uh, G League General Manager for the Delaware Bluecoats. So some pretty notable names were let go. Pompey reported that it was a cost-cutting move, which naturally is a pretty crummy look when you just gave a bunch of people a lot of money and your team is run by three billionaires. But, Stuart, I know you have an interesting point to bring up from uh, Spike Eskin over at the rights to Ricky Sanchez. So uh, I'll, I'll give you the floor to bring that up. Okay. Well, obviously, after I listened to the Sixers Sense podcast, I was still want to hear a little bit more about the Sixers. So I put on the right to get Ricky Sanchez. And Spike Eskin's comment about that was his main point was the Sixers don't really, they might, they business wise, yeah, they kind of, can be cheap sometimes, but not on the basketball end. I mean, Josh Harris paid $2 million for a late second round pick in the last draft. So his opinion was that the losing of the half the scouting staff, which included the general manager of the Delaware Bluecoats, was that that was more of Daryl Morey wanting to bring in his people. If you remember... Maury got hired 10 days before the draft. And this is his opportunity is he wants to start putting people he likes and he trusts and he's worked with in the past. And that's why his opinion was the uh, Delaware Blue Coach GM and half the scouting uh, staff was gone. He says, they're not going to go with three scouts or whatever. I think they have four now for the whole year. And it, it, that it was more like a conflation of business people being trimmed for salary for whatever and basketball put together and his opinion was that don't worry they're going to be hiring plenty of scouts in the future i i tend to agree with eskin's uh, you know analysis that this probably is just more or less maury getting more of his people in there we saw with the uh you know ceo hiring which we talked about a few podcasts ago, and now we're seeing it here. I, th- I think that's what's going on. I don't really think it's really the money issue. I think uh, when Joel Embiid publicly called out ownership last time about you know pay cuts, I, I think they learned their lesson from that. So I think it's more of a personnel getting you know people that you know inside the scouting departments. Which honestly, we don't really know how well Maury can draft because like. For most of his tenure with the uh, Houston Rockets, he was trading picks. He wasn't really using them. So we don't know. We really don't know how good Maury and his staff is at choosing picks on their own. So we'll, we'll see what happens mm. moving forward for sure. But we'll, I don't think it's a money move. 
Uh, yeah. How much money do scouts? I don't want to go into it, but I mean, how much? I don't think it, the Sixers go bankrupt because uh, they have too many scouts, things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I think you're just going to see a bunch of new hires go like that, and uh, and by next, I say college season, you'll see they'll have their eight or nine, and I'm sure that the blue coats will have a general manager. How do you? I mean, like Lucas, you follow them more than we do, but I mean. I assume the Blue Coats have to have a general manager just to sign contract. And yeah, move. I, I, you know, my guess is I don't know if his name was we we don't know for sure if he was a part of the firing process. But I feel like if Jameer Nelson, who is the assistant GM for the Blue Coats, if he was fired, his name would have definitely been brought up. So my guess is more than likely because he's a former player. Elton Brand's a former player. They like bringing former players through as GMs of the, you know, their blue, their G League team. So there's a chance that Jameer Nelson gets the job. I wouldn't be surprised there. Um, if not, we'll probably see another former NBA player get a shot at it, you know, because that seems to be the trend in the NBA, which I'm more than okay with. Shout out to Jason Terry, who just got the job for the uh, Rio Grande, uh, the Grand Grand, Rapids, Grand, Grand Rapids. Yeah. Yeah. Grand Rapids head coaching job. Shout out to the Jet there, uh, yeah, good, good for him. But yeah, I, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm not really too worried about the Blue Coats because I think we're at the point in the pro of this, uh, you know, team, you know, trajectory where we're not really looking to develop too many guys in there. I think we'll see guys like Deshaun Nix there, obviously the two way players like uh, Henry and um, and Riller there, but. I mean, we'll probably see Charles Bassey down there this season. Whenever Philip Petrusev comes over, we'll probably see him there for a little bit too. Not so Springer. Not, I mean, maybe honestly, I would put Springer down there if he's. I don't see him cracking the rotation. Why not? Why not? I think that would be a good place for him to get some reps. He's young. He, him and Bassey can go get reps now, along with the two-way players. Why not? I just I still think it's so funny though about Bassey, the number fifty three, picking the draft like holding out for a contra- better contract. You know, I don't. You know, and I brought this up last podcast. I'm really interested to see who asked for the one year deal. If it was his side or the Sixers side, because he might be asking for the one year deal so that he can bet on himself next year. The funny part about that was the Pistons had the number fifty two pick, and they got Luca Garza of Iowa, who was like. Had no contract, was playing his heart out in summer league, and got a two-way from the Detroit. And he's like happy as a clam, while number fifty-three is holding out for to be the fourth-string center. Doesn't like it, won't play because his agent orders him not to. It's kind of like weird seeing the difference between fifty-two and fifty-three uh, in the draft and how they uh, handled things. So, Uriah, you want to bring up our social media question of the week? Sure. The social media question of the week, I had Chris in mind when when this was being posted. So the question was, does Paul Reed deserve minutes this season? Here's a few responses on Twitter. Uh, Charles on the Sixer Sense Twitter site said, respectfully, yes, B-ball Paul time. We have Matt. He said, um, Mike Scott had minutes last season. No-brainer. And my favorite, uh, Ricky Chase used the meme of that one guy who's being interviewed on the street. And he's like, well, obviously, and he has the red bandana on. But let's go your your way, guys. Stuart, what do you think? Do you think Paul Reed should get some minutes this year? Well, I'm part of the Paul Reed fan club. 
obviously like that social media person said, if Mike Scott can get minutes, certainly B-ball Paul can get minutes. You look away the roster is, you have Drummond who can't shoot, you have Embiid who you don't want shooting outside. Uh, he's probably your small ball center if uh, Doc Rivers ever decides to go to one, or he can play the forward and he can have a, you know, two bigs in there if you like. He's flexible. I think uh, he can definitely see minutes. I mean, if you could throw in, you know, like I said, Scott and I think their other backup, you know, sometimes they had Matisse playing the four because they were so thin at uh, that position last year. Uh, you can, that, no reason Paul Reed can't play 10 to 15 minutes a game when everybody's there, when Embiid's not, which usually happens 15 to 25 games a year. I think he could be small ball or at least be Drummond's backup. I think more than likely. I I could see him in terms of skills. He's probably all, almost as good, if not better, than George's Niang right now. But I don't see Doc Rivers wanting to play him at the four when you have, you know, traditional bigs like Joel and Drummond at the five. I think his best bet is to go small ball three, I mean, small ball five. And I think he's probably going to be at the third center on the depth chart. Charles Bassey's not going to be playing minutes this year. As I just previously said, he's a blue coach player through and through. So I think we'll, I, I would like to see Paul Reed more, but I just don't think, and Chris will probably touch on this more. I don't think Doc Rivers will trust him enough to want to play him more. And that, I think, you know, that's the problem with, you know, Rivers is, you know, coaching in general, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned it, Stuart. You had that key line. I don't know if Doc Rivers will go with it, but yep, yeah, I, I don't think he will get a ton just because Doc is the coach and the Sixers went the super boring route and signed Andre Drummond. And you know, he's a big, flashy name and he's a veteran, so Doc is going to play him 18 minutes a night and he's going to start when Joel sits, and that's probably the right move. Because he's Andre Drummond and he was an All Star, etc., etc., etc. George Niang, I think, is maybe better than Lucas is giving him credit for. Like he's just a knockdown shooter, and the Sixers need knockdown shooters, and they need size at the four, and that Niang gives them some of that. Well, George Niang is six foot seven, but and I'm not saying, I'm saying as a two way well, so player. I mean, yeah, but let's be clear. Mike Scott should not have been playing last year. Yeah, well, um, Niang but, is better is my point. Well, and, and my point was is that I think as a two-way player, you know, playing both sides of the court, I, I mean, I would have a little bit more faith in B-Paul Paul. But offensively, yeah, Niang's better for sure. I'm going to close out this pod just like Doc Rivers will close Paul Reed out of the rotation. Um, <laughs> thanks to all our listeners. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, as a, thanks to Stuart, first and foremost, for coming on the pod. Uh, Stuart, if you want to let our listeners know where they can follow you on social media, uh, go for that. Obviously, go read his stuff at PistonPowered.com. They do great work over there. But where can our followers follow you on social media? On Twitter, you can get me at, at RealStuartL. And on you on the website, it's pistonpowered one word.com and piston powered also has a Facebook. And we do all kinds of interesting things there. Me and my fellow co-site editor Aaron Kellerstrass. So we 
put out lots of content and we I throw in some Philly things like when when I can some references as well. Thanks. He's, you're a covert operative in the uh, Detroit realm. Uh, you're our undercover agent. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. Um, thanks again, Stuart. And, and to all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in and giving us the time of week to talk Sixers basketball. The season is coming up very soon. We're less than two months away from regular season NBA basketball again. So that will be very exciting. We'll have a lot to talk about between now and then. We'll probably talk about that 16 guy who can maybe play point guard, maybe not. And until then, we will see y'all later in the week. So thanks, everyone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.